You're listening to Under the Shell Podcast, the best in America. Welcome to Under the Shell, presented by Testudo Times. I'm Brendan Weissel. Sam Jane. Michael House. Let's get into the show. Our next guest of the podcast is a former Maryland Terrapin star on the defense. We've got on Trey Watson. Trey, welcome to the show. Thank you for coming on. Absolutely, man. Appreciate you guys having me on. So, what are you up to nowadays? Kind of tell tell the tell the listeners what you've been to been up to after leaving Maryland. Yeah, man. So, uh, you know, fortunate enough to to still be playing professional football. Bounced around a little bit the last couple of years. Played in the XFL in 2020 after leaving the Dolphins. Um, played in Canada for two years, 2021 and 2022. And then I was back in the XFL uh, in 2023 with the St. Louis Badhawks. So I had, had a real good time doing that. Uh, you know, a little bit far removed from from college football now, man, getting old, got a family, got a second kid on the way and stuff like that. So uh, also on the side right now, I'm doing, doing my own Terps podcast, partnering with Beyond the Big Ten. So uh, former running back Ike, Ike Ogwebu and I are doing that. We're enjoying that. And, uh, you know, staying around the game, I'll tell you that. I have to ask because it's news today. Um, mentioned the XFL. What are your thoughts on the XFL merger? You know, it's it's interesting. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of good that can potentially come from you know two strong business entities coming together between the USFL and XFL. Um, but at the same time, like as a player, your worry is, hey, like are both both leagues going to keep each of the eight teams that they had? Because uh, if not, you know, then. You know, now guys, guys, jobs are taken away. Um, you know, are they going to do the hub format like the USFL was doing where teams were stuck in different places, not playing in their cities? Um, that's very different than the, what the XFL did. Obviously, I was in St. Louis. You know, we had 35, 38,000 fans every week. Um, very different than what you saw in the USFL. So, you know, where where do they fall on what exactly the final product looks like once they do merge? Um, how does that affect, you know, guys' job availability? Availability, Because at the end of the day, that's what it's about, right? Um, you know, you take away opportunities to play, then uh, things get rough. So that's that's just part of it. You know, you got to gotta sit back and figure it out. Uh, you know, it's part of, part of not being in the NFL and, and trying to stay alive playing football. It's just, uh, you know, you got to figure things out. How much of it in terms of the XFL, you know, did you find different? from the NFL in terms of the business, how professional it was, how different was the you know process like in terms of the management and things along that nature? Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the NFL is one of the biggest businesses in the world. So like just in terms of like your day to day, like what you experience in the NFL is unlike basically anything else, like the amount of people that are flowing in and out of those buildings every day that, you know, perform any and every job you can imagine you're you're eating like a you know like a king every single day and there's people who cater to basically your your every need 24/7. Uh the XFL and, and these other leagues they can't do that. That requires billions and billions of dollars and and those you know level of resources. So it's definitely not the same when it comes to that. But in terms of you know operating on a daily basis, you're you're doing the same things, man. You're meeting for hours upon hours. Um, you're training, you're practicing, you're recovering, you're meeting for more, you know, more time, you're traveling, you're doing all those same things. And at the end of the day, 
uh, you have to go put a, a high quality product on the field um, in order to keep your job. So from that from that side of things, it, it's still playing professional football. The level of competition is without a doubt extremely high. Um, so it, there's not a big fall off in that. But, uh, you know, in terms of the, the business side of things, you know, you're, you're just talking about millions versus billions. And uh, that obviously happens fast. Kind of moving on to your Maryland career a little bit. You went to Illinois for your first three years, decided to come to Maryland for your senior year. Kind of what went into that decision to transfer? Yeah, you know, uh, my time at Illinois, a lot was going on. Um, had, a, what, three different head coaches during that time period. A um, couple different, like, scandals and, and just things going on that just affected our ability to perform. I felt like I wasn't getting the most – or what I needed out of, out of my career. And I felt that having graduated, you know, there wasn't the the free transfers like there are now um, that opened up my window to say, Hey, what gives me the best opportunity to keep playing football post-college? Um, and it was to look elsewhere. And, and Maryland just ended up being the, the perfect place that I found fit what I needed um, at the time. You know, you have to make those decisions pretty fast. I think literally, our last game was the day after Thanksgiving or two days after Thanksgiving. Um, I announced I was leaving on Monday and, you know, by like Christmas or New Year's Day, I had to, you know, decide that I was going to Maryland. Uh, so, you know, just made it made a quality decision to, you know, took advantage of that that month of time. Um, and obviously, you know, it, it definitely worked out, I'd say. What were some of those factors that led to you choosing Maryland? You know, at the time, um, I felt like Maryland had potential. I felt like a lot of it was unrealized. Um, I felt I felt comfortable with the staff as well. Um, you know, the the linebacker coach Matt Barnes. I think we we developed a, a good relationship pretty early on. Um, he and I just clicked, and it, it felt like he had my best interest in terms of what could get me where I wanted to go. Uh, the vision he had for me really sold me. Sold my parents as well. Um, I felt comfortable knowing that I was going to stay in the Big Ten, a conference that I knew very well and had excelled in. Um, so that helped a lot. You know, they had a, a public health program that felt, fell in line with what, what I was doing in my undergrad. So it, it just made sense to continue all of that. Um, and, you know, it just, just felt like the right thing. I think, you know, when you're picking these schools and, and these relationships that essentially, you know, last a lifetime, uh, when you know, you know at the end of the day and Maryland, you know, out of all the places I visited um, in that transition, uh, I think that they were just without a doubt, you know, the one that fit me the best. In terms of, you know, you talked a little bit about it, the scandals, um, you kind of have been a unique player in that you've gone through a lot of scandals from Tim Beckman to then obviously DJ Durkin at Maryland. Um, mm -hmm. As a player, like, how do you handle that? Like what steps do you have to take and what's the craziest story you have you know, from any of the coaches um, learning that what was going down? Yeah, um, I think the biggest thing is you have to, you know, just understand that, unfortunately, things like that are just so far out of your control that you have to just focus on what you're doing. Um, you can't you can't let that stunt your development and and take time away, you know, worrying about, hey, who, who's my new coach going to be? Uh you know, is this is this school still going to be the right place for me? Unfortunately, when you're, you know, smack dab in the middle of your college career, you don't you don't have time to waste doing those different things. Um, 
so I was just focused on what I what I wanted to get out of my college experience. Um, you know, the 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 player and person that I wanted to be, I made sure that I prioritized getting to the to the level that I wanted to get to um in all those situations because they were they were just to be honest, downright all crazy. Um, you know, the the stuff at Illinois with Coach Beckman, I didn't experience it personally because thankfully during that time I wasn't injured, but you know. They were saying that, you know, guys were hiding or incorrectly reporting their their injuries directly to players. So players weren't aware of what was going on with them. Obviously, that's a huge deal and and unacceptable. And, you know, that can that can affect you for the rest of your life. You know, playing a, a game like football on an injury that is worse than described or not even knowing that you had one. Um that's pretty wild to hear. And then and obviously what happened at Maryland was was unacceptable during my time. And then the stories of what preceded my time there, um, you know, just not not fun to hear. Um, when you go to college and you sign up to play football, you, you do sign up for a lot. There's there's grueling days. There's, you know, working out and practicing and doing all these different things at all hours of the day. Um, but you don't you don't sign up to be belittled and embarrassed um and made fun of and and you know you shouldn't shouldn't be leaving college football with mental health issues and and struggling with events that occurred during your time playing football uh, that's that's not what it's about and that's that's far and beyond um what should be happening so uh to be honest like I said just all of that was was wild to hear was Maryland a school you considered uh out of high school um no to be honest uh you know, people people ask ask that a lot. You know, did you consider this school? Did you consider that school? In all in all reality, it's what school considers you. Um, you know, recruiting is is a two way street for sure. Once once the the schools open that door, um, you know what I mean. You can't just you know go to Alabama and say, hey, recruit me. I'm I'm pretty good. That's unfortunately that's just not how it works. So um, coming out of high school, I don't. I don't ever remember hearing from Maryland, um, you know, during during that part of the process, and that could be for a variety of reasons. I don't, you know, I don't know who who they had linebacker wise coming in in the same high school classes I did, or if they took anyone at all. There's a there's a lot of factors that go into that stuff, um, and where they where they saw me at coming out of high school. You know, part of big part of high school recruiting is how soon are you the version that they can see you know, bringing in to college. Um, and I kind of sporadically grew year by year. It wasn't like I just, you know, was a freshman or a sophomore who was 6'1", 6'2", 230 pounds, you know, looking like a, a Division One guy. It kind of took took its time. Um, and my junior going into senior year, that kind of revealed itself. So uh, Maryland wasn't definitely wasn't involved during my high school recruiting process at all. So then in the transfer portal, they were the ones that, that reached out to you or what was the process like when you ended up coming to Maryland? What's crazy is, is the year that I transferred, the actual, like, you know, what they refer to as the transfer portal, that wasn't even a thing yet. Um, it was literally just you got cleared from your, you know, your scholarship at your first school um, and you kind of waited to see what happened. Now, you know, uh, Al Siemenson was a former position coach at the university of Illinois. And he was doing some, he was a defensive analyst, I believe with Maryland during that time period. Also one of their recruiting guys, uh, Marcus Berry 
from my time at Illinois was at was at Maryland at that point in time. So I think those two are the ones who kind of initiated things. They said, hey, uh, you know, I don't know if you've ever considered Maryland, but uh, it, it might be a good fit for you considering your situation. Obviously, we know what kind of player you were. And then from there, you know, got in contact with Coach Barnes, Coach Durkin, and, uh, you know, thing, things accelerated pretty quickly. In terms of, you know, you obviously you guys have had um, a lot of, you know, success in terms of over the years and in your career and, and you know, even just get a tryout in the NFL, but you didn't receive a combine invite. And I remember reading that um, that was kind of a disappointment for you, but you got an Under Armour sponsorship, which doesn't usually happen, you know, if players aren't in the league or aren't projected to be, you know, top overall picks, they're not really getting brand deals. How did that come about? You know, what was the what was your reaction like, and and what's the coolest piece of piece of merch you got from uh, from UA? Yeah, you know, I think my situation with all of that was really unique. Um, I was, you know, I was frustrated to have have played as well as I thought I played, and not get a combine invite. You know, very rarely do you see guys who are you know first team All Big Ten, All American football players not get a combine invite. So I, I felt pretty disrespected by that. Um, but the the unarmor thing, obviously, you know, going to the University of Maryland has its perks in terms of the relationship with Under Armour. Um, I never talked to to Kevin Plank personally, but you know, at the end of the season, we had our um, awards banquet, and Kendall Ogle, who is a former Maryland player himself, used used to work for Under Armour. He was one of their heads of of football branding and and kind of worked with you know the the football sponsored athletes. Um, he saw me there. He, you know, saw all, all the awards that I had gotten with the team, you know, kind of. And from there, I think he just, you know, figured out who I was, reached out, reached out to me, you know, a couple weeks later and said, hey, you know, we would we would like to offer you a deal. Um, and it was funny because even when I, you know, when I went undrafted and signed with uh, the Dolphins, you know, I walked into the, the training room or the uh, the locker room and the equipment guy says, you know, we have all this Under Armour already here for you. Um, you know, they sent it over, said, said, you're, you know, a signed guy. Um, they said, weren't you, weren't you undrafted? I said, yeah, I sure was. And they were like, well, that's, you know, I never, I don't think I've ever heard of anything like that. So I'm probably one of the few guys that, you know, benefited from that type of partnership with Under Armour and also being undrafted at the same time. Um, coolest single thing I got, I don't know. Like they did send me a, a bunch of like teal and aqua colored, like custom dolphin stuff. So I had cleats, I had gloves that were all that special, you know, teal, aqua, whatever you want to call that green that they wear. Um, but I did, I visited the the Under Armour campus and they gave me one of those pairs of shoes that the basketball team got for like, I think it was a hundred years of basketball or whatever. Um, and I know there was only like 110 pairs made or something crazy like that. So I've got a pair of those uh, stashed up in the closet. So, uh, you know, those are pretty cool. And obviously it's basketball instead of football, but you know, Anything special, University of Maryland, I definitely, definitely hold on to it. So you didn't get a combine invite. So the Maryland Pro Day, it's kind of like your one chance to kind of showcase yourself to scouts. What was that prep like going into that, knowing that, you know, you obviously had a lot of pressure going into it since you weren't going to be at the combine? Yeah, um, you know, I think, you know, every every guy who's going into any draft cycle knows the combine or pro day is, is the biggest interview of your life. It's, I mean, it's essentially everything. Uh, a lot of times it's way too heavily weighted into, you know, your profile as a draftable player. 
instead of just focus on, hey, is, is that guy a really good football player or not? But, I mean, yeah, I, I definitely knew what, what the stakes were. Um, at the same time, I also knew, hey, I wasn't going to walk out there and, you know, suddenly become a 4-4 guy or, or suddenly bench 35 reps with the bench press or do anything like that. I just wanted to to give the best version of myself, um, prepare as much as I could, which, you know, at the end of the day, I know I did uh, put everything into it for, you know, however many months from the time that we, we were done in November, I came straight home um, and worked December all the way through whatever my pro date was uh, to, to be the best version of myself for those tests as I could be. Um, and at the end of the day, you just have to live with the results, right? Like, you know, you know who you are. You got to be comfortable in what you are as a football player. Um, pressure is, is only what you, you put on yourself at the end of the day. Uh, you know, I knew who I was, knew what I was going to be good at, knew what I necessarily wasn't going to be good at. Um, try to fix those things as much as you can. And the rest, you know, just move on and, you know, hope that they trust the tape that they saw. What did some of that prep you were doing for the, um, for the pro day look like? Um, I mean, it's, it's, you know, early mornings, you're out either on the field first or you're in the weight room. You're, you know, essentially every single day is a different focus. It's a different drill. It's, you know, working on your explosiveness and, and jumping for the, the broad jump and the vertical jump. It's working on, you know, obviously your, your stance, your start, all the different elements of, of running a 40. Um, you know, they, they try to break it down into a literal science because, you know, that four to five seconds means way too much. But it, it means everything. That's just the reality of it. Um, you know, working on lateral movement for the, the short shuttle and, and all those different drills. Um, and, then, and then going through, you know, like the typical position drills, doing stuff like that. And then it would flip and the other half would be, you know, in the weight room for two, three hours at a time. Then you're taking an hour, two hours to do recovery, stretching, basically anything you can do to, to try and get your body in the best physical shape you can be in. Um, eating as, as, you know, as clean as you've ever eaten, um, you know, taking, taking all that stuff seriously, because at the end of the day, you only have, you know, a couple months to, to maximize whatever your, your body can be for, for your pro day. So, um, those days were a grind. They were they were definitely long. There was there was a lot of focus on all of those little tests that you know you you never do again after that day. Um, but that's just how it works. Obviously, in 2018, you had a great season. Team All American, first team All Big Ten. Um, you know, and I think Terps fans kind of remember that season for two games mainly the you know the Texas win at the beginning of the year and then the. Uh, 52 to 51 loss against Ohio State. What's the best story, um, good or bad, that you have from either of those games that, that you can tell us? Um, man, I mean, I, I got a lot of stories. Those were those were two special football games, and they would have been even more special if we had been able to finish um, against Ohio State. Like you know, as a, as a kid and and as a football player, especially, you dream of like that that getting carried off the field moment. Um, that Ohio State game would have been that game for for our team, for the school, for for everybody. It, it was it was about to be the the best moment ever, and then you know you get crushed. So that part hurts. But one thing that I'll I'll always remember, which just blew my mind. Obviously, everyone saw how dramatic Urban Meyer was being that entire game. You know, on the floor, throwing his headset, just 
hands and knees. It's the whole game. Uh, you know, the game ends. Obviously, they they won when they shouldn't have, and, and he knew it. I mean, that's the, just the reality of it. He, he knew what happened. But he's walking across the field, and, and he sees me, and, he, you know, he shakes my hand, and he goes, you know, wow, I, I, I can't believe that just happened. Because at the end of the day, he he knew. He he knew they had they had literally just about given him a heart attack, and they were supposed to lose. You know, they were supposed to top 10 team in the nation, about to go to the Rose Bowl. They were supposed to lose to us. Um, but, you know, it, it is what it is. They, they found a way. They did some things that don't even make a lot of sense, and, and we, uh, we, you know, missed our opportunity. How hard was it tackling J.K. Dobbins? I think what he had like two hundred two bills in that game. Uh, yeah, yeah, he was he was having a he was having a great game. There were a lot of guys that were having a good game, um, but J- J.K. was a beast. He made he made some plays um, that were definitely you know just plays not not a lot of guys can make. Um, at the same time, Dwayne Haskins was pulling zone reads and diving for the end zone. I don't think he had more than ten rushing yards all season. So. They, you know, they they did things that, at the end of the day, just we weren't expecting. We weren't we weren't prepared for him to be running the ball, um, and, and we made a bunch of plays too. It was just you know, couldn't close them out on that last drive when they needed a touchdown to force overtime. We were, we just weren't able to get off the field. A couple third downs that really hurt us, and then in the red zone, um, you know, a couple plays that we'd like to have back, but. Uh, that game was crazy, man. That that was an insane amount of talent on the football field that day, and uh, you know, they they were able to make it happen. Sam mentioned two of those games, but uh, I'm sure a game you maybe remember more than most do. What was the Illinois game like for you that year? Um, it was it was interesting. I I looked forward to it. I think the the coaching staff looked forward to it for me more than I did. Uh, they were talking about it from the time I committed. They're like, yeah, and you know you get to play Illinois. I'm like, yeah, I know. Like, I mean, it is what it is. I wasn't like, oh, my God, I, I need to play Illinois. Like, we were a better football team than them. I knew it. They knew it. Uh, that's the reality of it. Now, you know, I, we we played the little joke on them. We we had the Kings of Liddyville shirts. That was like their thing during that time, always talking about Liddyville left and right, yada, yada, yada. So, you know, I was tired of hearing that. I wanted to let them know, you know, that's – Y'all ain't more lit than us, I'll tell you that. So we went out there and everyone dominated. Now, my game ended prematurely because of a a very poor targeting call. Um, You know, so I I didn't get to enjoy it maybe during the game as much as I wanted to. But, you know, Leak was taking a kickback. Everybody was running the ball. I mean, we scored like, what, 70 points, had an insane amount of, of total offensive yards, uh, and then their DC resigned the next day, uh, so you know I wasn't mad. I wasn't mad one bit. It was it was a good day overall. What's the you had a ton of targeting calls. Which one do you did you want to kill the referee the most? <laughs> Man, you know, yeah, I I had three that year. They were all pretty disappointing when you when you look at it. Um, I think the Michigan one they got me just because of the strength of. You know, the guy, uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones, literally looked like he was, like, unconscious. Like, I was like, man, did he, did he just die? But if you look at the scope of the play, he um, he was blocking Marcus Lewis in the back. I was chasing the you know, the running back, Karan Higdon, and I saw him at the last second. Now, obviously, I prepared and I hit him harder than he hit me. But, you know, when you, when you see a guy out of the corner of your eye, your first instinct is to just cover up a little bit. It's not like I, I didn't hit him in the head. I hit him in his chest. 
uh, it just might have caved his chest in. Um, so that one, I was I was disappointed really just because um, you know they they didn't call it on the field. Jim Harbaugh essentially got him to to review it after they went to the injury timeout and came back. So that one was disappointing. Illinois one was doesn't even make sense because I I hit again I hit him in his chest and he jumped over me. Um, and Penn State, Miles Sanders just fell into my face. It's not even like I ducked my head. He was spinning off of somebody else and just fell into me. That one hurt just because that was that was how my college career at Maryland ended, right? Like, you know, had a great year, had a lot of awesome moments and great memories. That game wasn't going very well already. Um, unfortunately, I think guys were just drained from a, a rough season. But uh, to to end your you know your career on a, on a targeting definitely uh, sucks. So yeah. How do you feel about college football's targeting rule? Because when I watch these games, I feel like the majority of the time, these calls are just like inadvertent hits and they don't actually like mean to target like that. Yeah, no, the the rule definitely is not being used the way that it's intended. It's it's not, you know, really protecting guys and, and punishing the bad hits more often than not. Um also, the NFL has their own version of the rule where you get a flag. If you get two egregious ones, then you're out of a game. Penalizing guys by removing them from, from games for hits that are mostly out of their control is is pretty unfortunate because um, you only get so many. You're, you're really only guaranteed the, the next one that you make it to. Um, that's the reality of, of playing a game like football. Like You literally just never know what's going to happen. So to, to have games being taken away from guys and – you know, seeing seeing the way they they talk about him and look at him, like, like I mean, if a guy put his head down, he needs to be safer and he needs to do what needs to be done. But I mean, that doesn't make him a a, a dirty player one time. Now, you know, you develop a pattern, totally different. But um, they need to look at how they you know use that rule and just format it to where it emphasizes safety, but it also you know understands that this game is violent and there is gonna be contact because I see. I see bad hits all the time that don't even get called or addressed. And then, you know, guys are removed for a guy falling down when he was already in a, in a tackling posture. Like there's literally nothing you can do in most of those instances. So your little brother, Christian, right now he's playing for the Packers. What's it been like for you to watch him play on play in the NFL? It's a, it's a special experience, man. I think, you know, I always knew what he was capable of, uh, you know, from, from the moment he came out, he was as gifted of a person athletically as I've ever seen, especially in person. Um, he was always faster, somehow stronger, even though he was super skinny and, and more athletic than, than basically anyone in, in anything he tried to do. He, he never failed at anything. Um, and in high school, he just had a really late growth spurt. So that was, you know, kind of what people didn't really understand. Hey, he's he's still going to be that guy. It just took some time. But it, it's been awesome to see. Um, you know, he, he's out there, you know, doing what what so many people dream of doing, what I dreamt of him doing. Uh, so it, it's, it's, a, it's special to see every time. Uh, really, really enjoy it. And, you know, know he's only he's only getting better by the day. So it's, I'm just having a great time watching him do what Back I knew he was capable of. Back out there tonight, I think. Yeah, yeah, he he better be, man. You know, uh, 
pretty unfortunate to to have a soft tissue injury in you know the 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 like extra bye week the NFL has now between the end of camp and the regular season. Uh, that yeah. that shouldn't shouldn't really be happening. Um, and then obviously you know missing three games is pretty rough. But uh, hopefully he can get it going tonight. So what's your funniest story of you either you guys playing together or playing against each other? Like what's the funniest uh, anecdote you have? Um, I mean, so we're we're just under three years apart. So and we didn't go to the same high school or college. So we only actually ever got to play together one time. And it was in like a like a turkey bowl tournament type thing. And he was really too young to be playing, but uh, he played anyway. Uh, and that was only because of, of how athletic he was. I don't even know if it's necessarily funny, um, but we were, you know, we were blowing a team out. You know, I had, I had kind of like I was the, I was the older guy on the team. So I kind of carried us to a win. We had a bunch of touchdowns. Uh, we're up a lot. So they put Christian in and the, the other team broke a run. Guys about to go like 80 yards to the house. And I'm like, I'm like, dude, we're up 40. I'm not even I'm not even about to chase this kid down. Um, and from the other side, Christian was at corner and he, he walks Buddy down like this kid's twice his size, walks him down, tackles him at the one. And then I think like the very next play, we forced a fumble or something like they didn't even end up scoring. Uh, so we kept the shutout and everyone's like amazed. Like he just, you know, he literally just chased him down for all the way across the field. Like everyone else just gave up. But that was that was just a sign of just like, yeah, man, he's he's as gifted of an athlete as you'll probably ever see. And this is when he was tiny. Like, you know, now he's second tallest guy on the field out there and faster and more explosive than everybody. Uh, it's really just not fair. How important what was football in your in your childhood, in your upbringing, in your family? I know you started playing when you were really young and it kind of stayed a huge part of your life up until now. I mean, it, it was huge. It was just something, something that my family was naturally drawn to. Uh, obviously, my you know my dad played in NFL and had played since he was young. Um, but the the cool thing about it is he is he let us find football on our own. Um, you know, my my siblings and I tried every sport on the earth, um, and just always naturally came back to football, whether it was flag or eventually when we got old enough that they let you play tackle. Um, it was just what we wanted to do. It was what we enjoyed doing. We enjoyed playing. We enjoyed watching. We enjoyed going to games. We enjoyed talking about it. Um, you know, there's just our family just couldn't get enough. So it was something that we we shared every Saturday going out to youth football games and Christian plays in the morning. My sister cheers somewhere in the middle and then I play later in the day. Um, you know, dad's coaching all of them. My mom's, you know, coaching the cheerleading squad like it was just something we all loved and, and enjoyed and it's it's carried on, you know, obviously we're all we're all adults now and that that just hasn't changed. It's, you know, just one of those things that it's just a natural fit for our family um, and, and everybody just loves it. I want to ask you, you know, it's kind of our last question about the current team, um, obviously. And, and one specific player, you guys played a little bit of different positions. You were more of a Mike linebacker and, and Jay Sean Barnum's more of that Sam kind of pass rusher um, that can drop into coverage as well, obviously. But what have you seen from him, you know, this year in the past? And then what do you think about Maryland's team overall as a whole? Yeah, you know, I think I think Jay Sean is, or, yeah, super talented. I mean, you, you, you just see it. There's one play he's rushing off the edge, you know, 
smoking a left tackle and, and gets a sack. The next play, he's he's in coverage and you know making a tackle on a tight end for no gain. Um, dude is he's just what what the modern linebacker is: uh, tall, long, got a ton of range, and and able to do a lot of different things. That that versatility bodes well for Maryland because you know they can do so much with him, and it bodes well for his future because um, that's how you get paid. Uh, the more you can do, the better. Uh, so dude, dude is super talented and, and really exciting to watch. Uh, so, you know, as long as he keeps developing the way he is right now, he's, he's going to be a force for, you know, as long as we can keep him at Maryland. And as far as the team, man, like you, you got to love where we're at right now. I think, you know, everyone has kind of acknowledged this is the first time that a, a Maryland team has had real expectations in a, in quite a long time. Um, and so far, they've done nothing to show that those expectations weren't valid. Uh, they got to keep going. You know, I think this week is a is a game that you got to win, and you got to win pretty convincingly, really for yourself. Because you know, next week is is a real true challenge. And if you want to be a, a team that's considered elite in the Big Ten, and specifically in in what is the last year of the Big Ten East, you got to beat one of the big dogs. You got to beat Ohio State, Penn State, or Michigan. Um, and you know. What better way to show that you've arrived than you know make you make a statement against Ohio State? Um, they're not as good of a team as they necessarily have been the last couple of years. Uh, you know, had a close game with Notre Dame that arguably they they should have lost if Notre Dame could count to eleven. You know, so um, you know we'll we'll see what Maryland can do, man. I'm excited with what we've got on this football team. Uh, you know, this potentially could be a double digit win type season if they rise to the occasion. So we'll see what they can do. All right, Trey. Um, every, every week with our guests, we do like a little rapid fire segment. Um, you know, I want to ask you uh, a couple questions here so we can fire, fire away with these uh, gotcha. you know, when you're ready. No, you're good. Go ahead. All right. What's the coolest opposing team stadium you've ever played in? Iowa. Best jerseys in college football. Maryland. Funniest teammate that you played with? Antoine Brooks. Who's the meanest coach you've had? Like, get up and you curse you out, all that. Uh, Man, that's hard. I don't know. Uh, uh, It's my first strength coach at Illinois. I can't remember his name right now, but he's at Iowa State doing something, but he was – he was one of one. I'll say that. Oh, Hillman, <laughs> Coach Hillman, that was his name. What was the biggest shit talker that you've ever played against? Against or or with? It's hmm. a good question. Probably Rock Armstead from Temple. He wouldn't. He wouldn't shut up when we played them and. <laughs> We we didn't we didn't do what we needed to do, so he kept talking. <laughs> what part of linebacking is better, hitting someone and on a run play or a pass breakup or interception? Uh, more satisfying hitting someone, more rewarding in in the end getting an interception. But not a lot of linebackers really get a ton of them, so got to go with the hitting someone. What you know? I don't know how many sacks you have, but if you did, what's your go to celebration? What you hitting? Stack celebration, uh, I'm a Q, so we throw up the hooks. Like, that's my default go-to. Um, you know, that's exclusive to us. So, I mean, I'm probably going yeah. with that more often than not. 
I got you. What is Maryland the worst stadium in the Big Ten? <laughs> no, you got Purdue. Terrible. Okay. Um, uh, who else is really bad? There's someone on the West who's Northwestern. Indiana. Oh my God! Yeah, <laughs> Northwestern is awful. The field, the stadium is so ugly. <laughs> are you are you a grass or turf player? Um, grass. I you know turf is turf is for for, for the budget. It's just you know it is what yeah. it is. What's the weirdest interaction you've had with the fan or a or a media member? Uh, so after that Michigan game, I didn't have death threats, but I certainly got some threats. And there was one guy who told me I couldn't come to Chicago or I had to see him. And I was like, I was like, wait, Michigan fan from Chicago. And I got to see you when I come into the city. Like you got a radar for me, but buddy, buddy wasn't playing around. Couple couple old guys sold me out too on, on Twitter. I was like, man, relax. They said that why would I go after their their superstar prize possession like that? I said, man, I I didn't even mean to hit him. He just was in the way. I'm I'm from Michigan, and DPJ was a very uh, enigmatic player at U of M. You either loved him or you hated him. So yeah. Uh, in terms of coaches, who who is a coach that you wish you could have played for but never had the chance? Hmm. I mean, that's tough. I mean, there's there's some pretty big time coaches out there. I mean, like it has to be between like obviously Nick Saban or like Urban Meyer, but when he was at Florida, not not at Ohio State. <laughs> not migraine, Urban Meyer. <laughs> nah, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm I'm from Tampa, so you know, I know all about the Tebow days. That that would have been a cool version to play under. And then last one, you know, in terms of in Maryland this season, which team are they most likely to get a win against? Michigan, Ohio State, or Penn State? Most likely, <clears throat> Penn State. Quarterback's young and playing great, but you know. Young guys eventually can slip up. And then you went from Nike to Under Armour. I and Illinois is Nike, right? Mm-hmm. Which which has got tougher merch, Nike or Under Armour? I know you were signed to Under Armour, but oh, it was no, from a non um, objective I mean, perspective. Out, outside of football, it's Nike. It's it's hard to keep up. Uh, you know, biggest biggest most re- most recognizable brand in the world. Um, that's you know that's that's no diss to Under Armour. They they make some quality stuff. I still wear a lot of the stuff I got from my from the time of my sponsorship. But um, you know they're not they're not on that Nike level just yet. Football stuff is great though. They're you know their gear looks good. Well, Trey, thank you so much for hopping on, and uh, we appreciate it. And we'll um, be looking out for what you're up to in the season, and also the Maryland coverage. So thank you very much. Yeah, absolutely, man. Appreciate you. Well, Trey Watson told you about it. We're going to tell you about it. Big, big week for the football team. Guys, I think this might be Mike Loxley's biggest game since he's gotten to Maryland. The Terps go to Columbus to take on Ohio State for the Fox Big Noon kickoff of the week. Maryland potentially should have been ranked, but they weren't. Ohio State lies in the top top ten as well, so the Buckeyes are coming into this one with high expectations. Fellas, do we think that this is a game Maryland could potentially win? Is it one of the biggest games that Loxley has, 
you know, participated in his tenure here at Maryland. Mike, what say you? I'm going to say this. The 5-0 and record might be a little misleading for the Terps. They, the teams they've played, they have a combined 7-18 and record. Not a single one has a winning record. Virginia is 0-5. I think this might have blowout potential for Maryland. They haven't faced a single team to the caliber of Ohio State. I can definitely see them getting shook in the first half and going down with a huge deficit and falling so, behind. So this is my question. You, you calling the 5-0 the and o record, yes, they, Maryland has played not great teams, and I think we can all agree to that, that, that the teams they've played have frankly sucked. But I don't think that it's like Maryland's fault for that. We're not faulting Michigan, who's number two in the country and has played just as bad of a schedule as Maryland, potentially even worse. Or we're not faulting you know, a team like Louisville, who's ranked, and beat Indiana by seven points. I think Maryland has taken care of business in these games, which is exactly what you're supposed to do. They're winning every game by double digits. Yes, they fell down 14-0 in the first couple, but they're going out and executing and this is something that Terps teams in the past haven't done, Brendan. You know, they lose games to teams that they shouldn't be in games even with. So I think you have to look at Loxley's team. And I don't think it's really fair, to be honest, to call, you know, like, yes, they've played bad teams. But to say, like, oh, they're fraudulent or, oh, it's a Mickey Mouse schedule, that type of thing is, I think, overstating how much, how good Maryland has looked just from the eye test. I think that they've, you know, shown that they're capable of being a ranked team. And I think they'll be able to compete with Ohio State. You can only play the schedule, and Maryland has only played the schedule. And it's not like, you know, they're, sure, they've played a pretty soft schedule, but it's not like they've gone into the soft schedule. They're not like they're a 5 0 with a combined, you know, win total by like 25 points. You know, they're blowing these teams out. They're not letting them stay around in games. And the games they did get behind in, they came back and they didn't keep the game close at all in the second half. So I think, yeah, the teams they face haven't been good, but it's not like they've been winning on last second touchdowns and it's like a fraudulent 5 0. These have been five solid games that Maryland has won. Mike, I, I just want to ask, like, what else would you need to see from Maryland in order for them to, like, show you that, oh, this team, you know, has has something to it in the five games they've played? Is there literally anything else they could have done, or you just think that, oh, the schedule's so bad, I can't trust them? Well, it just makes sense that they wouldn't be ranked yet because they haven't played anybody. We but know Louisville hasn't either. But you, you, you bring up Michigan, too. We know who Michigan is. Like, Michigan, just look at their roster. Look at the experience. Look at the players they have. They've done it in the past. Maryland hasn't done it in the past. They didn't beat one of those big-time Big Ten foes last year. So Well, I mean, I'm not disagreeing. Michigan was an extreme example. I'm just saying that, like, teams in the early non-conference, especially in college football now, do not play very good teams. Like, let's just call, like – it is what it is, but like look at Louis, like Louisville is the team who's ranked 25th right now. Okay, we'll take we'll take you through their schedule. They played Georgia Tech one by five. Georgia Tech not good. Murray State they won 56 to zero. I didn't even know Murray State had a football team. <laughs> Louisville played Indiana. Indiana who Maryland beat by this week by what was the final score? A lot to a little basically 21 to 14. They beat Boston College 56 to 28. Boston College might be worse than UMass. And then they beat NC Touché. State. And they beat NC State this past weekend 13 to 10. What in that says that they're better than Maryland? Maryland's one of the only like five FBS teams who's undefeated and is not ranked. Or team even like for the matter of LSU. Like why NC's, does LSU deserve to be ranked over Michigan when they have two they're three and two and have two losses? Over Maryland. NC yeah. NC State has a winning record. They beat a winning team. 
But NC State. <laughs> but then, if like coreversely, if you look NC at NC State, State, NC State was three and one going into that game. Yeah, so. but if you look at NC State's schedule, like correlating, if we're gonna chirp Maryland for you know beating teams they're supposed to, NC State beat Virginia twenty four to twenty one. Virginia genuinely might have been the worst Power Five team in in the country. They beat VMI. I don't think that really says much about them. Lost to Notre Dame forty five to twenty four and beat UConn twenty four to fourteen. Just because they beat a team with a winning record, I don't think says much. I don't think if NC State and Michigan State played, I think Michigan State would win on a neutral field. Michigan State just played a tougher, tougher schedule. And they have no coach. Yeah. I mean, I just I think it's a question to ask. I don't think that I mean I don't think it's really going to matter because if Maryland competes and or even beats Ohio State, they'll be ranked. I think it's just the question of. Do Maryland think fans like look at this team as just something that's going to crash and burn, or is it going to be sustained success? It's hard to know, but if you look at the if you look at Maryland's schedule right now against non-ranked teams, I personally don't see them losing one of those games. That's they're they are much better than all those teams. And this is the question I had for you guys when we look at Maryland's schedule, right? And I know this is like big picture stuff, but it's the same idea. I'm going to give you guys a schedule, and I want you to tell me how many wins you think the team would have, Maryland would have with this schedule, okay? Utah State. When? When? 1-0. Iowa State. When? When? 2-0. Western Michigan. When? When? So 3-0. At Penn State. Lost. Lost. 3-1. Versus Michigan State. They already know beat the them on the Know the answer to that one. Yeah. So 4-1. Versus Purdue. Win. Win. 5-1. At Wisconsin. This is kind of the gimme. I would say win, actually. Win. Okay, so six and one. Versus Minnesota, versus Northwestern, versus Rutgers. Those are all wins. I agree. Eight and one. Versus Illinois. Win. Home or away? Home. Win. Nine and one at Nebraska. Win. Win. That's the game on Maryland's schedule that I think they could lose that's non Okay, so we're team. saying, like, even if we say one of Nebraska or Wisconsin Whose is schedule a loss, is this? that's Iowa's schedule. Wow, what a joke. So you're telling me right now <laughs> if Maryland was in the Big Ten West, we can pretty much automatically assume they would win the West if, if your guys. Oh, one thousand percent. One thousand percent. So I don't think that, that, but I don't think it's fair to say then. Oh, Maryland's got a fraudulent team. It's just they're the well, no, I think they're just the going to play. They're going to play probably. They're playing in the best conf or best division in America. Three t- probably top five caliber teams. I just don't think that you can say. Fi- I mean, when you look at the teams they played, five and zero doesn't have the same weight when they're seven and eighteen. Yeah, I mean, I don't think so, it's the same weight as, yeah, like, Ohio yeah. State beating Notre Dame on the road, but I don't think Barely. it's... Barely. Yeah, exactly. I have 10 players. But I don't think it's, like, I don't think it's something you should hold against Maryland. They've taken care of business. They've really done it in dominating fashion. I think that saying, oh, they're 5-0, and but they haven't played anybody, it's going to be a blowout in Columbus. If but you t- say, I didn't say it was going to be a blowout. I said potential blowout. Okay. But you bring up an interesting point. Is there a harder side of any conference in, in America? And I would say that... No, no, I don't think it's even close. They're in a conference with three top six teams. Are you kidding? Yeah, I mean, it the, not just the conference. They have to play all those teams. I mean, yeah, and two, and two of them, you're gonna, you know, you're going to Columbus, and then you're gonna get Michigan and Ohio or Michigan and Penn State when Michigan and Penn State are both playing their best football towards the end of the season, and we know Maryland historically does not play their best towards the end. So I just think it's interesting, and then specifically for this game, um, I want to ask. You know, if there is one advantage that Maryland has, where do you guys think that lies? Like, because we know it's not in the trenches. Ohio State's defensive line is is going to play well against Maryland's offensive line. Their passing defense is, I think, fifth in the country, which is kind of a tough look for Maryland. They also, I don't really think Ohio State's played 
like great team. Like Notre Dame did not look great against Duke even like as well. So I don't think that Ohio I think State. Any, I think no one has any idea how good Duke yeah. or bad Duke is. It's actually really hard to tell. Yeah, and so I don't think that it's necessarily like oh Ohio State's played this gauntlet, you know. So I where that's the question I have is if there is an advantage Maryland has, where does it lie? Mike, what would you say? Quarterback play. Wow, I was gonna say that too. Yeah. Yep. They Talia, have the best quarterback in the game. It's between Talia and JJ McCarthy as the best QB in the Big Ten. And yeah. or the Penn State kid, Aller. But yeah, I mean, I think you're right. And I think McCord is a solid quarterback, but if it comes down to it, game winning drive, you're definitely taking Talia over him. I couldn't tell you how many times in the past ten years or at all in the Big Ten when Maryland's had a better quarterback than Ohio State going to the game. Yeah, Can anybody think point. of an example? No. I cannot. That's a great point. And I don't think that and I think that's something you have to factor in because last year and on like if you looked at just stats, Talia was better than Stroud in that game. Like he made more one plays. One of them is playing in the NFL right now, one of them is not. Yeah, I mean I'm not saying that Stroud is a oh, worse yeah, yeah. quarterback. He's clearly, you know, playing great in the NFL too, but having that type of advantage over Ohio State, I think pr- proves to be big. I think one sneaky advantage that you could look at too and this is very specific, but I definitely think it could matter. Ohio State has had a lot of struggles off the edge with ta- with tackle speed. Notre Dame got them a couple times with just their edge rushers coming off like and very much speed rushers. We know Maryland has one great pass rusher. They don't really have a stable of them, but Jay Sean Barnum has been good all year. He's great in that rushing the passer role. If Maryland can get them to consistent third downs, third and longs, I think Barnum could have a big day. I would predict over a sack for him. Mike, you could actually argue that Maryland's had a harder schedule than Ohio State. They played four games. Notre Dame, very hard team. Indiana, same. Youngstown State, Western Kentucky. I mean, come on. They did beat Notre Dame, though. Like that one, I would probably right. lose the argument. But I mean, Maryland's played three Power Five teams. Additionally, Ohio State. I mean, we have to talk about. Obviously, they have Marvin Harrison, right? And that's mm-hmm. and that's like Anameka Buka, who's like they're both disgusting. They're going to be first round picks. But I think the thing that you could really look at for Maryland's defense. That could prove is the rush is the rushing defense has been pretty solid, and I think if you can get Ohio, Ohio State's only averaging like 190 yards a game, and it's on a lot of attempts because they're obviously, you know, running the ball against these teams late in games when they're up like 60 to 14 or whatever. So I think that if you can hold Ohio State to a couple third and longs, you can get them to you know make a couple mistakes, rattle McCord a little bit. I think that they could have a chance to hold on, and then you just have to hope it's close in the fourth quarter and Talia can make some plays. It'll be critical for Tarheeb Still and Jaquan Shepard to stay on the wide receivers. I think Shepard against Harrison, as much of a good matchup as it can be against Marvin Harrison Jr., who's the best receiver college football seen probably in the past five years, maybe Shamar Chase, I think it actually fits well for his style of play. Shepard's kind of a big physical corner, so is Marvin Harrison. I think you can't man him up one-on-one, but I don't think I think it could be possible that they could hold Harrison under 100 yards. There's been one specific thing that's been kind of rattling around in my mind, and I can't tell if it's a positive or I can't tell if it's a negative for Maryland. And it's the fact that Ohio State did not play a game last week. What do you think about that? The bye week? Do you think it helps Maryland yeah. or hurts Maryland? I don't know. I always kind of go back and forth on that, too. I think, like, yes, you get more time to prepare for them, but at the same time, I can guarantee you some of Maryland's coaches were already working on Ohio State oh, film yeah. Oh, yeah. the oh, week yeah. against Indiana. Like, I'm, I'm not saying they were looking ahead or anything like that. But well, that's just how it works. Thinking, yeah. yeah. And I do think for Ohio State coming off like that emotional win against Notre Dame, sometimes it can be hard to get up off of it for the next week, especially with two you know, weeks. Yeah, two yeah. weeks in between. You don't really have the same type of thing. I think you could see 
Now the thing is, if Maryland starts out slow, they're, it's over. Like they're not gonna. Yep. You have to get. You have to start better than you have been in other games if you're the Terps. I think if you can get out to a 7 10-3, 10-7 lead and just kind of hang around, I don't think it's po- impossible that Maryland could at least cover. The also other good thing about that that I was thinking for Maryland is that they've gotten better every week. There's no doubting that. Oh, 100%. Every week they play a little bit more of a complete game. Everybody's looked a little bit better. Everybody's looked a little bit more on the same page. Mm-hmm. And Ohio State having that week off, such you know an early bye week in the season, may hurt their chances, but I— I'm not sure how much that will play a factor, honestly. Notre Dame also, and one last thing before we kind of move on. I think another advantage is Ohio State has not played. I talked about their past defense. They have not played a group of wide receivers better than Maryland's. Notre Dame's receivers are not better than Maryland. Like Jayshon Jones, Caden Prather, Octavian They played a different, Smith, different type of team. Yeah, Ty- Tyrese Chambers. Mm-hmm. Notre Dame's a very powerful, run-heavy offense that is going to try to grind you to use, use your tight ends. Go to seven different tight ends. Yeah. Like. Deitches is more dynamic than any player Notre Dame has. Same with Jayshon, probably. So I think that if you can, you see, you could see some success through the air through Maryland for sure. And you could definitely, if you just hit a couple of big plays like they did last year, I mean, the game was close in the fourth quarter. Just, you have to hope that this time, if you're Maryland, it swings your way. Absolutely. Also, Ryan Day is thinking a little bit too much of it with the media. Lou Holtz. Saying. Yeah, I mean, he, Lou Holtz is there in, any, is there any in his old, head. Is there any old Maryland alumni that will say something this week that will cause such an elite post-game rant? I don't know. That was electric. <laughs> Johnny Holiday, you got to get on it, my man. <laughs> we need we need a good quote from Scott McBride. He needs to say something. Um, but you heard, you heard, obviously, we talked about it. Trey Watson talked about it. It's going to be a big game on Saturday for Ohio State and Maryland, um, and everyone is obviously looking forward to watching it. But another, there are other sports, other teams that are starting to find their way as well. <laughs> Maybe a team that isn't finding their way, and it just kind of is spiraling at this point, is the men's soccer team. Brendan, I don't think anyone expected this from Sasha's squad, but it really just has not come together whatsoever. You know, I wouldn't call myself the biggest, uh, you know, I don't have the most soccer knowledge, but I do know a couple things. I know that a team that is ranked, a team that is supposed to be, at the beginning of the season, a team that is ranked, and a team that is ranked the top of the Big Ten, it's probably not supposed to score five goals through eight games. Um, Maryland has only scored three go- th- games in three. Maryland's only scored goals in three games so far this season. It's really hard to win games when you don't score. Obviously, in soccer, you can tie, but there has just been no offensive generation in, in Big Ten games. One, five, and two going into Tuesday's game. Possibly the good thing is playing Rutgers on Tuesday, um, so a chance to get a win. But it's not scoring a goal in the last three games is is I mean it's bad. awful. It's just it like you have to figure it out on offense. And there's only so many times I read I read stories and I see quotes where they're like, oh, we'll figure it out. You know, this team's still just gelling together. Like, and in the past, maybe with men's soccer, you'd be like, all right, I kind of believe that. Yeah, but I mean, you can't fall to one five and two not score. Like, I mean, in three games you're scoring. I mean, that's like that. It doesn't matter how gel jelly your it's offense deflating. needs. To that's terrible. That's like they're not clearly – they're clearly offensive attack is not working. You have to switch something up, whether it's changes to the lineup or just, you know, switching up your offensive attack. They're clearly not putting enough pressure on opposing defenses, and it's letting down a defense that's actually been pretty good this season, you know? Yeah, I mean, the defense has not been the issue. I mean, Northwestern was a very strong team. Northwestern hasn't yeah, lost Northwestern's the game. Good, so, so you lose 2 nothing, sure, but it's not like the offense had a ton of chances. It just – just ugly on offense all around. I just think it's been an ugly season, to be honest. And we thought, we kind of said last year, like, this could be a rebuilding year, but I don't think any of us, like you said, expected that it would be this bad this early. And I don't think that, you know, in terms of this week, you know, you have Rutgers, 
usually you'd say that's a win for Maryland, but I don't know. I mean, who's to say? Who's to say? Uh, Bowling Green on Friday as well. Bowling Green um, beat Michigan, who Maryland lost to. Um, the good thing about playing Bowling Green is they have let up a goal in all but one game. So if there's a team you're going to try to yeah. score against, it's them. Maybe get the game. offense on track a little bit, but still, you know, I'm sure Bowling Green is thinking the opposite. Well, we're playing a team who hasn't scored at all, <laughs> so now it's our chance for our defense to step up. Yeah, exactly. It's, I, I mean, it's I was just going to say, it's quite surprising this is happening. The last time that Maryland soccer had a losing record, not counting the COVID season. Don't count the COVID season, come on. It was 1993 in Sasha's first year. I mean, it's crazy. That... Now will it be his last? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, I Speaking just... of coaches who may be on the hot seat, I mean, I don't think he's on the hot seat, but that's pretty ugly. Yeah, it's not, it's not great, and it clearly is something a fundamental issue with the offense because at this point in the season you're almost halfway there there has to be some sort of chemistry starting to form um but what are you going to do and they got to find a way to get a 2-0 and week i think i don't i don't think one and one really does much for you absolutely but the other side of the soccer pitch the women's team back to 500 they're doing okay you know they're kind of struggling back down to 500 yeah yeah back to back to 500 back to maybe realistic expectations for what yeah. we had for this team um lost had a tough tough week in my home state <laughs> went, went to michigan and got absolutely smoked um lost i think it was 5-0 to michigan state and then 4-0 to michigan and kind of a little road trip um frankly just i did not expect 5-0 to msu um, msu is not an elite team you know um, I, I did say that i think they were the, probably the best non-ranked ranked team, team but, but but still, still. <laughs> i mean 5-0 is 5-0 at the end of the day and it just does i think it's still like emblem emblematic i can't say the word but you know sim symbolic of what we've talked about this team all year that's now i think four straight games five straight games where they have not scored a goal so yeah, haven't scored since september 10th yeah when they played hmm. binghamton so clearly it's some sort of again issue Gross. with the offense i don't know what they're feeding these kids in the soccer Maybe complex something's wrong with the practice field let's, i mean let's get something going with the shots because again another Maybe another give them a bigger game. net at practice i mean <laughs> yeah i mean and, and like you said with opportunities brennan you know you talk about it i don't know like i'm not a soccer expert again but if you take enough shots on it you're eventually going to find find pay dirt it's like they're not even getting enough shots on goals for it to even be, you know, a, a, a chance. Eight shots on goal against Michigan. Michigan had 26. It's just like you're not going to be able to. You're to going to lose that game ten every times out time. of time. Yeah. yeah, and I just think that you really have to switch something up. Nemzer obviously wants to play that controlling style, kind of grit out wins, but you're not going to get it done against Michigan State. Three shots on goal. Michigan State had 25. I mean, you make you just the goalie doesn't have to do very much. I mean, you literally are not putting any sort of pressure on the defense. Um, so I, I you got to figure it out on offense if you're if you're Nemzer's team. You got to even start taking more chances, like sending more people up. I like this move to put Kennedy Bell more on the ball, um, but you really have to start switching it up. They have Rutgers um, this week on Saturday. They have a little bit of a break, so. Uh, we'll see how they do in that. Yeah, one. we talked about a lot of negatives for the soccer teams, but this is the week that they can both get right playing Rutgers. So <laughs> you need, yeah, you need a three and a week from the the combined. That's why, that's why Maryland fans love Rutgers. <laughs> <laughs> Came in the league together, and it has not been a rosy rosy shine but, for Rutgers. But maybe not in field hockey this last week. Yeah. The, the Scarlet Knights came through, Mike. What happened? So, field hockey, they're 1-1 one one since we've last recorded and currently 8-3. and three, And I think I can say this team is not as good as I believe they were last season. So, my 2022-23 oh. game, was that you were, you were leaning a little towards 23. Has that changed since then? 
I've always had it in the back of my mind. It's just that this year's leadership is not as strong as last year's. What One do you think? The, like, what, how is that? Like, is it just the loss of the? the you play. talked about the experience. I, yeah, but I think it, I think it's just how good of a players they were and their <laughs> scoring potential. To be honest, seventy eight percent of their points last year came from seniors or grad students. This year, only 35% of their points have come from that same group. So they're relying on a lot of Hope Rose and a lot of the younger players who don't have that same experience or maybe just haven't had a lot of experience in these big games against Big Ten teams. I think, like like you said, leadership can be both off the field and on the field. Like, yeah, enough of rah-rah, like, woo, like I'm a senior captain can go only so far when you have players who are stepping into these big roles for a team that has big expectations. And clearly teams are just locking in on Hope Rose. She's kind of gone through a little bit of a downspurt I've been seeing in recent games. And I think that's just because they know the production is basically coming from her. If you're going to look to fix this, Mike, you know, in terms of players to look out for that could potentially kind of pull Maryland out of this little rust that they're going through, who would be some um, people that you'd kind of, you know, not point to, but could see potentially taking that next step um, in terms of maybe getting Maryland a couple more goal production? Because it's really been a struggle, um, you know, against Rutgers, um, obviously beat Penn State, but we know that that's one and one still at, for Missy Mahark's program. you got to have better. So you're going to look at some of the freshmen. Uh, I've brought up Josie Holloman before, but she's had a really strong game. Um, Erica Morris-Adams, she's in her sophomore season now. She had a really strong freshman year last year. Going to look for production from her. And then again, Hope Rose. I mean, she's the best player on the team. She's going to have to lead this team, and she's going to have to have the best performances on this team if this team wants to win. I think also just looking at the defense is, a, is another big thing. Like the defense this year might I know we, we said it, but they might be stronger. I mean, they helped Penn State mm -hmm. to two goals, um, and we're continuing to see Alyssa Kolbasco, I think is how you pronounce her name. She's had a good year, uh, had four saves against the, the Nittany Lions. So Paige Keefe, two in the goal. Yep, yep. so she's them. clearly taken you know um, a big you know freshman. She's gotten oriented um, here, and, and she was obviously a talented player before, but you might have to rely on that defense more, you would think, right, Mike? Right, and it, it's just scary heading into the Big Ten season for them, especially when you look at the Big Ten tournament because there are over half of the Big Ten field hockey teams are ranked right now, mm -hmm. and currently Maryland's in the standings is fifth. So if they want to survive in the tournament and go a little deeper, they have to r rise in the standings a little bit, and with that they have to win some of these big games. But they ha They've been dropping games. The one the one thing I don't hate, Mike, is I don't know. This maybe just is my take. I don't think there's one incredible team this year like there was last year for Northwestern. Yeah, you are right because Iowa was ranked number one last week, and they, and they 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 fallen. They're ranked so, seventh now. Yeah. Yeah. So it's definitely like that, but. Maryland, Dave, they're currently eight and three, and they're on a high. They're losing games at a higher pace than they did mm -hmm. last season. Last regular season, they only lost two games. They've already lost yep. three. Yeah, it's and they have seven games to go. There's more parity across the country. I think you're seeing, and I think this is just like as we kind of you know wrap it up. Like this is a symbol though of of what Maryland field hockey is. Like they're still number eight in the country. They still you know like you talked about Josie Holloman, like Big Ten Defensive Player of the Week as a freshman. They're clearly bringing in talent. It's just now like you you have such high standards for the program that you know losses like to Rutgers like you look at it and you're like what is happening mm -hmm. with this team where it's the same I mean, thing Rutgers is undefeated it's not yeah, like a, it's yeah not like a loss where you're like damn like they were they clearly are so much better that's, that's a terrible upset so I think you just gotta have to maybe accept that we said it last year Mike like again this year would potentially be kind of like a year where there'd be some growth from the mm -hmm. field hockey team and clearly you're seeing and that, expectations right? are always through the roof so when a team you know Maryland isn't ranked top five people Right. Start to worry when really, you know, they're going to get tested in the Big Ten and mm -hmm. 
all hope is not lost. Yeah, and I think that's Rose would say that's the theme. That's the theme of the three teams we've talked about here. Absolutely. Um, and but rebuilding years, kind of, you know, we 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 spoke about it. How you got to be patient. Team that you know, kind of as as we're heading into you know the years where they're supposed to be really killing it is the volleyball team. This is probably Adam Hughes's one of most strongest start he's had. Lost to OSU this past week, but also got a W. Brennan, what did you see from from the volleyball squad? 3-1 win over Rutgers. We talked to Sam Sire before that one. She seemed pretty confident. She finished the game with 10-plus kills. Dog. They got the win there. Ohio State, not a very strong performance. <laughs> Lost in straight sets. But coming up, Maryland will face off against Minnesota at home on Friday. Minnesota, top 15 team. This is a chance to get an upset. Going to play a ranked team at home on a Friday night. Should be bumping. I think they have a chance on that game. And then next day, Indiana at home. Winnable game against Indiana. Uh, Indiana's been solid, similar, outside of the top 25, but they took Nebraska four sets, which Nebraska's one of the top teams in the country. Um, I think they're similar to Maryland, where they don't have that many losses yet this season. They played a pretty light non-conference schedule, so I, I would expect the Indiana game to go five sets. And mm-hmm. I would predict Maryland's record this weekend would be one and one. I think if they beat Minnesota, they're going to lose to Indiana, and vice versa. Yeah, I don't hate that at all. I think that if you look at one and one, that'd be a pretty solid record. If they can keep going one and one each weekend, that'd be the best. <laughs> Especially if they get Minnesota, because then you have a kind of an, a, a strong win to your resume. You know, what absolutely. I mean? And you kind of look, and that's a winnable game. A hundred percent. Home home upsets happen all the time in college volleyball, sports. Yeah. We see it, and it happens in volleyball. So I wouldn't expect anything different. Um, and upsets are kind of the theme of the week. Maryland football wants an upset. One last thing on volleyball. So right now, Maryland, they have two conference wins. Last year, they had seven. Do you think they're going over last year's conference wins count? That's a great question. I would say they're going to get eight. They're going to get eight? Eight wins. That'd be pretty good for Adam Hughes. I mean, I think they think the Big Ten is a little bit worse than it was last year. And with that in account, they'll get one more win. All right, so the prediction is eight wins, and they have 17 games left. But now we are going to move on to our picks, and we got a new person at the top of the leaderboard this week. Is it week. me? Guess who's back? Is it me? It could be me. It could be me. It could be me. It is not, Brendan. Sorry, guys. <laughs> but Sam is ahead at 10 and 5. Yes, I'm right behind him at 9 and 6. And then we got Brendan at 6, 8, and 1. Mike, tell the people how your week went last week. Uh, I had my worst week yet. I went 1 and 2. Not great, but you know what? It's a tight race. It's, it's, a, tight it's a tight race. race. I'm only one game behind, and it, you know we got a couple more, couple more weeks left. So Sam, I'm not gonna lie. This week, I you're gonna hear it in a second, but I love Brendan's pick, so I think he could go to move to three. No, I actually was gonna take two of them, but he got them before I did. <laughs> so I'll say start it off with. I know this is kind of crazy. People are gonna hate. I'm gonna bet against the number one team in the country. I'm gonna take Kentucky plus fifteen. Kentucky's covered the spread in a bunch of games. Georgia hasn't looked good. Give me that. Give me Maryland and Ohio State over 55. I think this game has a chance to be very high scoring. Um, and so I look at this one as, as potentially having some fireworks. And then lastly, I like Texas minus five in the Red River showdown against Ohio uh, against Oklahoma. Um, Quinn Ewers been great all year. I like Texas. I bet against them last week. That was my one losing pick. So um, Brian with the Longhorns. Mike, 
You got some upsets here this week. Yeah, I think I'm going to regret some of these picks, but first on, I'm going to take Missouri plus 6.5 versus LSU. Mizzou, maybe somewhat a surprising 5-0. and I think that's a real legitimate one. They've beaten some good teams. <laughs> um, but LSU's been kind of disappointed in Brian Kelly's uh, second Their year with the squad. Sucks. So I'm going to take Mizzou plus 6.5, keep the game close. Next up, Ole Miss favored by 11.5 points versus Arkansas. Ole Miss is 4-1 and one against the spread, while Arkansas is 2-3. and three. I'll take the Rebels to cover. Then lastly, Colorado favored by 4.5 points at Arizona State. I could not believe my eyes when I saw this line. Arizona is 1-4 on the year, and Buffalo's just got out of that gauntlet of a schedule with Oregon and USC. Mike, you really like Dion's team. Hey. I like Coach Prime. I'm a Deion Stan, I will say. He's a Prime guy. Hey, what a a mind if Coach Prime came to College Park. (laughs) (laughs) Might be a lot more media attention. I think that line makes absolutely no sense, which is why Arizona State will probably win that game. Probably win. By like 40. Yeah, it it happens every time. All right, Brennan, I I was hyping you up. You'll probably go over. I wonder which ones you like. Yeah, I know. That's the issue. Let's see Um, what it is. First one, Army minus three and a half against BC. I don't think that game is going to be crazy scoring, but I don't think BC is going to look that good. Mm-hmm. Alabama, same line, minus 3.5 against Texas A&M. I think this is a game Texas A&M. I mean, I mean Alabama could win by 20 or 25. Yeah, I um, love that pick. And then Maryland, plus 18.5 against Ohio State. I think the game will be relatively close, and even if it's not close, I think Maryland will still be trying at the end, and so yeah. it will be close. 18.5 seemed like a big number to me. That's like, massive. Even if like you, you think Ohio State— It's 19 State, too many. Yeah, <laughs> like even if you think Ohio State is going to kind of walk away with it, Maryland is like an explosive enough offensive team to where I don't think it's going to get to 21, 28 type of points. I also think they, you know, I'm surprised they didn't look at last year's game. Yeah, exactly. Maryland lost by 13. Like. And and I think this year's Maryland team is better than last. And that game was last. way closer than mm-hmm. 13. Yeah, right. and I think also when you look at it, Maryland is better this year than they were last year, and Ohio State is worse this year than they were last year. I mean, year. they beat Indiana by 20, so. Yeah, and I think... <laughs> I guess the only difference is it's at home for Ohio State, but is that really worth that many points? I, I think not, but we'll have to come and see. You know, Saturday will we'll prove to kind of put some difference in the, in the standings here. Um, but last segment of the day, we talked about it all last week. Great, terrific turp. Let's see if you can follow it up, Brendan. I had to combine uh, my two favorite things, which are Maryland and UMass. So here we go. Um, you can't say Maryland women's gymnastics without saying the last name Nelligan. Since 1979, someone with that last name has been coaching the team. Bob, who is this week's terrific derp, coached from 1979 to 2009, and his son, Brett, has coached the team since the 2009 season. Bob Nelligan grew up in Braintree, Massachusetts, and he attended UMass. He graduated there in 1971. After college, he stayed in Massachusetts and was a teacher of physical ed and gymnastics at Weymouth High School. Then he coached at the Marvatines Gymnastics School in Rockville, Maryland, and then Bob worked and coached at the Master School in Dobbs Fair in New York, where he was a physical educator and coached lacrosse, softball, and obviously gymnastics. In addition to his success on the floor, beam, and beyond, Bob was known for recruiting and producing student-first athletes, achieving many academic honors and 100% graduation rates. Even though his work on the gymnastics team consumed most of his time at Maryland, Nelligan was also the director of the Maryland Gymkhana Troupe, the only touring exhibition gymnastics troupe in the country. He was also a guest lecturer in the College of Health and Human Performance, um, and he was also a camp director at Woodward Gymnastics Camp in Woodward, Pennsylvania. Nelligan had 18 NCAA regional championship appearances and 18 winning seasons. Overall, he had a 477, 426, and 4 record. It's a lot That's of a games. Lot of games. <laughs> <laughs> Following the 2009 season where his son was an assistant coach, and then he became the head coach, 
His daughter Kelsey was a senior on the team. After that, Bob retired and handed the reins over to his son. That's like, that's that's so many uh, Nelligans throughout the family. Awesome last name. Yeah, clearly. Um, but another good, terrific Terp. A good episode. Um, obviously, the game on everybody's mind this week, Saturday versus Ohio State. You can find us and all of the um, info about that game on Under the Shell. And alongside, you can find all and more preview stuff at Testudo Times. So check both of those out, Under the Shell on Twitter, Under the Shell on Instagram. Give us a follow. Have a good night. Guess what? You've got Under the Shell podcast. Nobody does it better.